welcome to Metaverse Cast. In this episode, I'm talking to Wesley Elal from Malta. Wesley is a serial entrepreneur and a creative as well. He's been involved in TV shows and performance and all kinds of cool stuff. And he has multiple times created solutions for his own problems and turned them into companies. He's also a super nice guy, willing to share all his experience. And we had a great conversation about entrepreneurship and actually creating something in the digital world that has impact in the physical world. It's something we talk about in the interview, you know, not creating stuff just for the sake of tech, but simply, okay, we want to create this cool thing, you know, couldn't this idea be good? Couldn't this thing be good? Yes, it could. But what impact does it actually have in the real world? What is it actually changing? At the same time as being a game, a DeFi platform or a metaverse. And I really like that about Wesley. I think that was super, super, super interesting. And we should have more people like that. If you have kind of an entrepreneurial vein in you, I know that you will like this conversation. Wesley Elo, hello, and thank you for taking the time to join me. Hi, Jesper. Thank you very much for having me. I hope everything's good on your side. It is. I'm super stoked after the Tomorrow Conference where we briefly met. You know, a lot of interviews planned, and I think, you know, it was a super interesting uh, conference. No, it, it was a fun conference. There was a lot of amazing content inside. I got to have a lot of wonderful conversations with people. And what, what was great about it is it was a lot of sharing ideas and not a lot of sales pitches, which is always good to see in a conference where you, people, you, you get to learn and get to experience things. I totally agree. Uh, my last uh, conference before COVID was actually in Toronto. And that was uh, more or less a sales pitch after sales pitch. <laughs> okay, they, 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 they do happen. I, in fact, I'm off to Toronto now, um, but it's again, one of the better conferences, uh, the AIBC guys um, uh, who, who do conferences in Dubai and Malta. Uh, they, they have a, I'm over there for, they're doing a AI metaverse NFT sort of event. So I'm looking forward to that the next time. Oh yeah, that sounds super cool. I'm actually, uh, working on an AI uh, startup at the moment. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, let's not dive into that. <laughs> uh, you are presented as a serial entrepreneur. I looked up like all the different projects, uh, and I'm I'm kind of curious. You know, what did you do that you liked when you were like ten years old? What did I do when I liked when I was ten years old? Um, okay, I'm just trying to remember where I was living at the time. So I was living at ten. I, I used to go out and play baseball with my friends in fields and um, used to go into, like, we had like a little creek and nature area not too far from our house. So we used to go and explore, explore the creek. I think we just got our first Nintendo entertainment system. So I used to spend a little bit of time um, on that, but it was, it was bicycles. It was in the street. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was living life in Canada back then. Uh, yeah. yeah, not, not really techie. In fact, I, I, I didn't, I, I never planned on getting into tech. 
it was it was a happy coincidence yeah that's funny because i was thinking like okay because usually there's something some you know if you end up in the right place there's some kind of relation to what you really enjoyed doing as a kid and what you're doing now so do you think there's any relation to what you've been doing as an entrepreneur yeah there there is i've never worried about the future i've always cared about the now um so in fact uh, even even in my relation in my relation or actually i worry a little bit i i have a direction where i want to go in the future but i never worry about the past it's more about the now like what's happening now how can i make now better because the thing is we don't know if tomorrow is going to come and we can't change what's already happened but now in the very near future is something that we always have in our hands and we can always make the best possible so that's what my life was as a kid it was what do I want to do now? And it could be explore it and just have fun and enjoy myself. And that's what I've been doing the whole way through and, and sort of finding things that make my life better now has been the sort of um, modus operandi I've lived by. Cool. Uh, so tell me the story about, you know, how did you end up in, in this, uh, you know, what was the path leading you into blockchain? That path into blockchain. Okay. This is, uh, I'll give you the very brief version. Um, as a young man in Malta, uh, I, I moved to Malta when I was 13. My parents brought me here. Um, my sights were set on moving abroad for university and not doing it here. And I got my, I was, I was, I was on the dumb kid. I did my SATs, came in like the top, I think like the top five percentile in the world. Um, so I, I started applying for colleges. And I applied for a Bible school, um, <laughs> believe it or not. I, I spent a year studying theology um, and learning a lot about that. But I, I was in France where I, where I went to school. And then I was just like, I wasn't too happy in Paris. And I came back to the island. And I came back to the island not knowing what I was going to do next, where I was going to go to school. And I sort of got involved in theater and entertainment and I became a DJ and was running a bar and I was doing all these wonderful things. I, I decided to go to university here in Malta because it was free and I could do this while enjoying myself the rest of the time. Um, and yeah, but the beginning of my life was all entertainment, it was all, all sort of making, making sort of quick money, but making people happy and, making, and putting smiles on people's faces. And then at the age of 25, that old age of 25, I realized I couldn't be a DJ all my life. I did. I had a that had a time limit, so I needed to make a change now. And I went to go speak to a one of my previous bosses. I used to run, who I used to run a bar with, and asked him what he was doing. And he was doing business directories, um, like these printed niche uh, niche uh, business directories. And I said, well, you know, there's probably a better way to do that. There's this thing called the internet, and we could like sort of take everything that we're doing and put it on the internet and we wouldn't have to reprint these things again. We wouldn't have to distribute these things and we can get people like looking for this. And instead of spending the money on printing, we can send it on advertising or getting people to use it. And that's what my first business came about, um, which was find it. From there, it was a whirlwind journey because I, I realized to make my business successful, I needed to make Google like my website. So I learned everything there was about SEO and, um, then basically everybody who was my client on my business directory wanted me to do the same thing for their website. And I did it once, I did it twice, and I really hated it because SEO is a boring, boring job. Um, so I said, okay, I need to build something that does 
what's what I've learned inside of here and puts it down. So we built our own content management system um, and started, uh, basically it was SEO optimized and started bringing in clients. Um, we did that for a couple of years. As we were doing that, we were finding other problems. So we needed more employees and the traditional methods weren't working. So I built, so we built a, an online employment uh, platform, which reversed the model on how we look, how people search for jobs. In fact, before everybody used to look in the classifieds for a job and we said, okay, how about we swap the model and you as an individual can sign up to find out about any classified to do with your industry. And we built this company called Keep Me Posted. Um, then I also was still in theater and I wanted to make that professional. So in the meantime, um, I said, okay, we need to help market this. So I built a, an online sort of um, website, which is all about all the events happening in Malta. Then we realized we need to sell online ticket, ticket sales because we have to save money. So we're just finding small problems to make my life easier all the way, um, which took me up to 2016, um, where we realized we're solving all these little problems for a little island in the middle of the Mediterranean, and we're building them fast, they're working, they're doing well, but their scale is limited. I mean, it can go up back then to about 400,000 people. So that's the limit of what I can do, but the effort you put into building the idea is the same as if we're going to go out to 400 million people. Um, the only possible difference is some architectural differences in the software and, and, and money essentially on scaling it up. So we said, why are we focusing on solving problems for only a couple of people can do? Let's start thinking bigger and wider. And that's when we came up with Quizando, which was just more of a, it was a, how should I put it? It was just a trial. It was just to see if people wanted to, play games for skill games for money, use their skill, win money, rather than the whole traditional gambling route. Malta is known as a big eye gaming island, all about the gambling and the betting. I didn't want to go over there. I wanted to see if there was this other area. Anyway, it did really well for itself um, to the extent where we then needed to scale. And we had to go raise some money. We had to raise money for it. And Malta is not known for tech investments at all. We, I mean, people invest in buildings and they'll spend millions in buildings, but to a tech startup, they would never put money in, even though I have a, a sort of good track record. So that led me to blockchain and ICOs, um, that dirty word from the, from the 2017, 2018 era. Um, so yeah, we were, we were about to do an ICO for Quizando to actually raise the funds. Um, and we started that towards June, 2018. Like everything, when I go to, into something, I wanna know it inside out. Um, and I learned about the, the premises of blockchain, about how the technology works. And when I start doing that, I try, I like to understand how we can make things better by using it. So in fact, we were like our skill game platform, what can we, what problem can we solve with our platform? And we found that the creator economy was a big issue back then. Um, so we said, how about we utilize our platform and allow creators to monetize their audiences in a way where their fans are playing a game with them and uh, the fans win a prize, the, the creator takes home some money, everybody wins and, and we do this. So we were doing these things and blockchain allowed us to do this. Um, the only thing was it was 2018 and when we started the ICO slide was diving down. Uh, so I fell in love with blockchain but I didn't raise any money from it on that. Um, in fact, again, because of my tra track record and, and, every, and all the education I was doing, People then came and did an equity raise and we did, we scaled our platform and did whatnot. 
But I fell in love with blockchain at that point. I fell in love with the premises of it, the idea of decentralization, the idea that now we can control our funds, we can control our digital assets. It's not a matter of someone telling me what I can do if I own this. I now own this and I can choose. I can give it to you if I want to, or I can sell it to you if I want to, or I can trade it with you for something else if I want to. And this is, that, that's something for me was beautiful because we're in a society today where the bank tells us whether I can send you money. I, I, I tried to do a certain transfer today to myself and I was limited because I could only send so much money to my other account. And I'm like, why? I, I'm sending money from one account of mine to another account of mine for a reason. Now I have to go ask the bank for permission to get my assets. And, and so that's where I fell in love with it. And I then just have been racking my brain on ways to help um, mass adoption. That, that's been the thing. So my game was one of the methods because I knew people in games are already using tokens, be they internal tokens or not, they're already using tokens, they're used to it. So if we can get more people with a wallet in their hand using a token, which now doesn't have to sit in that game, but they can take out and then trade, we're already doing that little bit of process. Uh, so I, I was talking about GameFi before GameFi existed sort of thing. And anyway, um, long story short, kept educating in the space and then 2021 came about and we decided you know what, we have 70,000 players on our platform. It's time to go Web3. It's time to convert our platform to a play-to-earn platform to get 70,000 wallets out there, to get these tokens out into the big wide world. And, and that's where we are right now. In fact, we're doing our, we're just about to do our token sale uh, for our platform. And um, at the same time, help bring more people into the whole crypto ecosystem. Cool, great story. You know, I can recognize myself a lot in that you know, entrepreneurial journey and all the other entrepreneurs I know, it seems to be, you know, all this, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing and basically solving problems for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, always come, it always starts from home. Yeah. It always starts from home. And the best stories I've ever heard always started from a, solving a problem for yourself, which someone can relate to. Yeah. I'm curious about uh, Quisando. Uh, I know I'm not a big quiz person. And I play Trivia Pursuit and I know that in pretty all English bars around the world. They have quiz nights. I've attended a few of them. Uh, I'm horrible at quizzes. <laughs> I'm not very good myself, to be very honest. And I just actually, uh, uh, I don't know, like half ago, uh, half an hour ago, I had to uh, go at Crescendo to, okay. to, and I think I picked 90s uh, movie quiz. And I, you know, when I failed answering like five, six times in a row, <laughs> I gave up. Sure enough, so, but I understand the concept and I know that, okay, that's, that's a very popular way of gaming in the world, uh, mm. you know, and I can, I can, I can totally see it, you know, because I know the endorphin rush when you actually can answer a question. That's it. I'm just not very good at answering these type of questions. Uh, so I'm more like a like RTS game kind of guy, but still, uh, but so what kind of what my one of the questions what wallet is it is do you have your own wallet or is it like metamask or something like that what so right now where we're at we are totally internal we're totally centralized at the moment this is what will happen after our token launch uh where we'll actually be incorporating metamask in, into our into our platform where people can then transfer the internal wallet to their metamask on that um, we will, there will be elements of our game that will always have to remain centralized. To give you an idea, we've worked with the World Wildlife Fund. Uh, we did a project across a thousand schools across India, and we wanted to raise uh, basically these students in schools uh, were playing for their school to win computer equipment for the school. 
Um, they were also doing this sort of beta testing for us to see our scale. Uh, and we managed to get over 50,000 students all playing at once with a live host in London. And they're competing against each other in these general knowledge. It was actually a, 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 an ecological knowledge quiz about how to better the environment. Um, and so, so they were playing out, but to hit those speeds, having 50,000 players answer with millisecond sort of um, response times, we're not there yet on the blockchain. But the token system is because what we then do, where what we do is for everything they get right, or at least that's where we're going with our play to play to achieve models. Everything you do get right, you're going to be rewarded for. You're going to get a little token, which you can then take back and learn, and again use that token for various different things, either NFTs or, or, or things like that. But we're also not staying just to quizzes. Our 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 platform is actually expanding. The whole idea of the next wave of Quizando is to be more like an app store for play to earn games. So we already have an audience. We already have creators. We're creating a whole series of play to earn skill-based games, which they can then actually use to our platform. We have ourselves beyond the quizzes and the different quiz types. We have another five games, which we're gonna be launching in the next, well, six to nine months, depending on when the, the, the funding comes out on that. And the idea is, is different elements of skill. So like one of our fun games, which is coming out is called Majority Wins. So you have, so you're streaming out to your audience and you have, let's just say there's a thousand people watching you and playing this game along with you. You will be asking a question through our system, coffee or tea. And the audience has to decide where the majority will sit on this. So it's, it's skill at understanding the audience and the people around you, but it's a little bit of tension. So it's not, it's not a fact but there is there is the skill element there we have other games which are coming out which are about like you know like a whack-a-mole comp uh, contest and, and things like this so we're, we're bringing all sorts of different game mechanics into the platform but the key the key element is we want people we want uh creators and and, and influencers and and anyone who has an audience to engage with their audience through a game because that builds a deeper relationship that changes the sort of perspective that they have with the creator from being a passive viewer to an active member. And it makes a very big difference in how that community stays together. The, the, the adage is a community that plays together stays together. And it is very, very, very true. I can totally relate to that. Uh, I think because one of the things that we hear in this space a lot is community, community, community. And one of the things on my mind is having been, you know, we've all just been locked down and we've probably participated a lot in communities and maybe a, little, a lot more than we do now that we can actually meet physically again. So it's like, okay, where's this going to land? Because we like it, but we also like to get outside and meet people yeah. physically. So that's one of the quest big questions on my mind and also on my own project, you know, how can we actually, be, you know, but never mind. Uh, one of my big experiences was initially when World of Warcraft came out, you know, I was with my friends and we were using, you know, I don't think this code was around at the time, but some kind of other chest yeah. system. And we mm -hmm. all went on like raids together. And yeah. that was a very like huge community feeling. You know, people yeah. would talk in between games and we would prepare and we would, you know, get in touch and create strategies and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I can totally relate to that. Um, and I think, I think that's, that, that is probably maybe one of the missing pieces for this online community in general not only within gaming but in general and it, I it, it, is, it is in general um because uh, like for example i am i actually have another research project which we're doing at the moment for um for the live entertainment scene because if you notice during covid live entertainment didn't take that 
moving to digital wasn't that easy. And part of the reason is, um, especially in live entertainment, there's a connection between the audience and the, and the entertainer. And right now it tends to be sort of one-way communication where you can only maybe get a chat going on. So we're actually, we're actually experimenting with different things, like for example, picking up the microphone for, and just getting the laughter or the gasps or the reactions. We're, we're, we're trying to see how the audience can engage more in various different ways. So not just through the game, but, but in other places. But that the idea of a sense of community one again one of the easiest ways is just to get people to play we when we have our games going on so we'll have i don't know 100 people 200 people in a, in a room and they'll be playing this game and we just get sort of little bits of data feedback um saying uh, let's say in this one jesper got uh, this question wrong so it allows the host to connect out and say jesper what happened there how did you not know uh, maradona was the one who uh, punched the hand of god and it, so it starts a conversation going and allows allows that bit of engagement. Now, the thing is, when you're a small community, it's fine. You know everybody on a one-on-one -on -one basis. As you get larger to sort of create connections with individuals, you need to have data points. You need to have things. And it is those little bits. It's that little shout out. It's that little mention. It's that little um, tease coming from the coming from the chat and, and the repartee that builds community. Um, today, like I'm, I'm one of the hosts on the platform. Um, I, I do it once, once, sometimes twice a week. I have a community of players, which I don't have the largest community there, but I, I have a community of players who, without a doubt, no matter what time I do it of the day, it could be 9 p.m. my time and, three, and, and lunchtime in L.A., they, I will have these people join me and they will come religiously because they want to feel part. It's like their little group has got together they feel a part of something. And this is what I want to do with the larger scale audiences with um, Mr. Beast. He has, he's been doing this anyway, to be honest with his games. I want to help other people have that experience without that sort of massive cost of setting up a game and, and doing whatever. Just again, to come, to come together once a month, have a fun, a fun little time together and then see what happens. And what our aim is to be is a mega community of micro communities at the, at the end of it. Yeah, that sounds, I'm always interested in the actual, you know, action steps of the thing. So one of the, some of the questions that come to my mind is, okay, so you're a creator. So can you create like a, you know, you, if I have a topic, you know, I'm, I'm part of yeah. like the Star Atlas uh, community, you know, yeah. I'm invested in that. So, so, so could I go in and I can create a quiz around Star Atlas topic? Yes. So exactly that. So current, currently our platform, if you want a custom topic, that's not a problem. Our, our platform, we don't allow you to put in the questions yourself because we need to vet things, but you can send us the questions. Our team will then verify the questions are correct. Because the one thing that you don't want is you don't want something going out there that's wrong. And because that's when the community starts being upset and it, just lots of hassle. So we do allow our, our, um, our communities and our creators to come in with their own specialized topics, be they, again, um, star, uh, star, star Atlas, star Atlas, be them, yeah. star Atlas, be them, what literally we've had some of the weirdest topics on the planet, but it comes down to what your audience wants and just knowing what they want to talk about and what they want to speak about. There's, a, there's like this show in the UK called the Dobby Club. Um, and uh, we, we've had a community of uh, this, I think it's like three to 400 people who come once every three months to play this quiz with their community. And it was just about a TV show that, that was running in the UK 10 years back, but they love it so much 
that they love getting together and talking about moments of it and, and playing games about it. So yeah, we can uh, we do everything and we allow specialization because we know at the end of the day, it's your topic, which your audience cares about. And that's what we want to do. Yeah, I can see that works in, in many different uh, cases. Um, one of the big questions that we talk about on, on the big trends that we all know in this space right now is that everybody seems to agree that games are, you know, the onboarding for, for Web3. And you also talked about it. You know, when you created Crescendo, what was that? Was that the topic you had on mind or uh, was it that something that you found out like during what you were building that, oh, okay, this is actually... It was during what we were building. At first, the, the, the first thing that came to mind was we want to be part of the online gaming industry, but we don't know how to build games. So what game can we build? That, that, that's, that was the, the first thing. We know how to build websites. We know how to build systems. We don't build games. So what's something we can build that we can build a community for? And that, that was number one. And then as I was coming along, I was understanding, it, we, we started studying games. We started studying game mechanics and the simplicity of how the most simple games can be the most effective. I, I mean, we've seen Wordle this year, for example, um, the, the whole explosion from being nothing within six months being sold, I think for 21 million to the New York Times, something crazy like that. Yeah. And it's it's all about again that was all about community that was sold not because the game was so special but because a community identified to it and, and 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 moved to it and that's what we're doing now so we're trying to create and develop all sorts of different little games that communities can play together participate in and feel part of something which they can share this experience and go about their daily lives and it's not going to take three hours of their day to do because that's the other thing um younger younger people they do have hours and hours to play games I think myself and yourself a little bit less so uh, because we're just busy in our day-to-day -day lives. We'll, we'll spend some time on it, but that is the market I'm going for. The market who is a casual gamer, the, the someone who wants to play, but doesn't is it also wants to interact with other people and, and engage with other people and just use that time to play, talk, engage, participate, challenge, and and go forward. Yeah. Yeah, I can follow that. For me, I you know, I've, you know, I, I look at all these, you know, have you have Monopoly, uh, Star yeah. Wars, or you know, all these type themed, but it's basically mm -hmm. skinned, yes. uh, core game mechanics, mm -hmm. and and I'm not a, I'm a sucker for that. You know, for me, when I open a box, it's just like okay, it matters to me if there's a wizard on the box. You know, I'm a fantasy sci-fi guy, <laughs> so enough. I will I will play the most stupid thing if there's a wizard on the box. But if okay. the, if it has a tank on it, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not for me. I, I, I've played various mobile games as well. And it's just like, for me, the theme matters a lot. And it all boils down to core uh, gameplay. Mm. And I really like your approach where, okay, we, we don't know how to make games. What kind of games can we make with the skills that we already have? Yeah. I think that's a very uh, good approach. And I'm thinking, you know, people who are curious, like companies who are curious about, okay, Metaverse, mm -hmm. everybody's yeah. talking about, gaming you know yeah. most they, they don't have a clue about gaming some of them yeah. you know never played games but everybody's saying that this is the way to go and everybody mm -hmm. has to look at the metaverse and things like that you know what what would you I, I'm, I'm working on some one i'm actually working on a metaverse project at the moment um which will come out of stealth mode hopefully by mid-july um but we're working with some wonderful people in in thing because again 
we're creating these metaverses and, and we're not trying, we're trying to understand what the end game is in the metaverse. So do we want people, if we're, if we're trying to get people just to play games for the sake of playing games, I don't think it has a long life. Um, we have to understand what is the problem it's going to solve. And that's what I'm looking at, at through metaverse and web three. I'm trying to say, we have a game. I, I, so I'm, as you know, I talk about gamification, which is the behavioral change of someone through making something into a game. And that is what I'm doing with my metaverse project is again, it is focusing on changing certain behaviors of individuals around the world, bringing and bringing real world change through that virtual experience. So we, with the, with all the metaverses that are coming out, some of them, some of them do have the plan. I, I've seen some of them though, that they don't, um, there is nothing more than playing the game and earning the token. That is, that, that is the only, and I think something like that will have a certain life. Um, I think the ones that are, that's trying to solve problems through the games and be, change behaviors, be them getting, um, I don't know, people to visit or read material more or, or do certain things more, those things will have longer lasting um, impact. The ones that are, I don't know, going into Decentraland to see the airdrop tower, that is a gimmick. It, it has a 10 second lifespan, we'll, we'll walk around it and then, then what? Um, so we have to understand when we're taking things into the metaverse, what are we taking? And is this something that will live next year, the year after, or are we just doing this for the gimmick's sake now? Yeah, I very much agree. I've, I've had similar feelings with this, this the, all the stuff that is hyped, where it's like, yeah, hmm, I don't know. And mm -hmm. I, I look very much at, at stuff that has this uh, like real world impact. Mm -hmm. So what are what are some areas where you think, you know, maybe where where it doesn't right now have this impact, where gaming could have a real world impact. So I, 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 I'm thinking we're going to see a lot of uh, differences in training. So even uh, training, education, um, even, even grouped training, I think metaverse and things like that will change the whole concept of distance learning. Um, be, uh, Skype, the, the idea of the, of the sort of uh, Skype or the Zoom sort of calls are great. But the, how should I put it? There's uh, there's a lot of people who are still shy because they're so like they're solo. What, what, if I if I speak in a group Zoom call, everybody's focusing on me. Whereas if I speak in a metaverse area, it's my avatar. So my I can speak my mind. I can talk about what I need to talk about, but they're not looking at me. They're looking at an avatar, and that element of of, of distance can actually help people speak a lot more freely. And so I think we're going to we're going to see sort of group dynamics and group conversations and classes change and things like the metaverse. Um, I think we'll see more more engagement between even the distance organizations through the metaverse again, where people get to uh, open themselves up. Um, sh the shopping experience and and possible change in behaviors of helping to choose products might come from something like that, um, especially if in the metaverse you can try out products uh, like I, i've seen those sort of fashion uh, a couple of friends of mine are working on a fashion project a ARIs, 
Um, and they're actually working like with dresses and digital clothing in the metaverse where you can actually scan your body type and, and sort of be in there and, and walk around with that thing. I think we're gonna, we're gonna have a lot of experimentation on it. I can't talk about mine right now, but mine I know has a, has a large potential. In fact, we're, um, so far everybody we've spoken to about it who's involved in the project is super excited because it's, we've, dis, we've defined a behavior we want changed. And I think with these metaverse projects, this is, the, this is the ideal. We have to start from why are we using it? What is the end, what is that goal that we wanna change? Do we want people to come learn more? Do we want them not to go out in the streets and take drugs? What, what, is, what is that behavior we wanna change? Then we, can, then we see the technologies available to help them do that. And that's where I think uh, things, things will come about. I very much agree. Uh, you know, technology for technology's sake is, as you say, usually not uh, long-lasting. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually wanting to uh, change some behavior and figure out, okay, how can we change it with the tools we have available? Uh, that sounds super cool. I guess we'll just have to get you on again when once you can yes. say a little bit more about your <laughs> new projects because that sounds great. Um, I, I, I was checking up on some of these articles that you've been in and, and I saw that uh, you said in one of them, it was the Sigma thing where you say that uh, the era of asking people to buy stuff is over. Can you yes. uh, elaborate a little bit on that? Oh, okay. Um, so can, before, I'm, so I'm, I'm a digital marketer going back to 2005. Um, so this is sort of pre-Facebook days. Before we could send an email out to 10,000 people and we were almost assured that out of those 10,000 people will get 500 buying that just through saying, hey guys, there's this offer, do you wanna buy it? Today, that doesn't happen. You, you get a small, it, unless you have a highly, highely engaged community I, and some of my mailing lists, I do have very highly engaged communities those ones, yes, those those will buy. But anybody else who is not uninitiated in the brand or just doesn't understand it, they're going to take about 25 touch points to trust you enough to take something with you. The idea of buy it doesn't happen anymore. Now we need to know what is the product? What is it going to do for me? Who are you? How are you improving the world? And how how does your narrative coincide with mine? Are Are if I, if I buy from you, is it going to be, I don't know, melting the polar ice caps? These are all, the weight of the information we have these days is making people's decisions much, much harder. Yes, well, there's still herd mentality amongst many, many people. So they'll follow what becomes popular then will require less decision-making because other people have made the decision for you. But to get to that point where you have herd mentality following, following that decision is you're going to, need to change a lot of people's minds and hearts and that is done through narrative and, and and complete creation of your brand and understanding where you're positioned again games come into this games can help people understand and have deeper learning and and feel more accustomed to it but the idea of just buy it now isn't there anymore um i, I again i let's just say the most amazing computer laptop manufacturer came around today for them to convince me to swap out of the, I, I tend to be in the Apple ecosystem, you're gonna have to do a hell of a lot to, make, to help me make that decision. 
um, to same same with my phone and and whatnot. So we need to we now need to look at these whole worlds of why your item needs to be part of my life and how it will make my life better and better for those uh, around. So yeah, that's that's the elaboration. Yeah, yeah, I can I totally relate to that. I've also worked many years in marketing, and it's so true. I've seen it as and then again, as you say. I just thought that there was a phone, I can't remember, but they did a collaboration with Hasselblad, uh, the cameras. And I was just like, hmm, that piqued my curiosity. But still, uh, moving away from the, as you say, Apple uh, environment, nah, you know, I don't want that friction, you know, because it just works. And that's always been, of course, there's different opinions about that. But I think you're right, changing people's minds. And that's also one of my concerns with all these communities. You know, if every single brand has to have a community where people has to be really engaged, you 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 know, see it with Discord. And I, I've lost count of how many Discords I follow. And mm-hmm. you see, there's all these, you can do levels and there's all these, you know, all these like Twitter raids and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just gets too noisy. It's just like, blech, you know. So I think, you know, it's going to be super hard for brands. For, you know, to, if everybody, you know, if the main strategy is creating community, Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen? What do you think? So, what we're what we're going to see is a mix. I the the mega. There's still going to be some mega influencers around, but every industry is going to have its opinion leaders, which people will go to to save time. Um, I'm going to give you an example. I myself, I just I just bought uh, the 2022 MacBook Pro 16 inch. Um, I knew I was going to buy a Mac and I just had to decide which one I was getting. And how do I make that decision? I can go and do the research myself and go to the store and whatever. I don't have that time. So what did I do? I went on YouTube. I went on Instagram. I went on TikTok. Literally, I I chose these different platforms, wrote, literally wrote out the question I was asking to see what five, 10, 15 people said in 1.5 to 1.75 speed. (laughs) because I'm really trying to save time on this. And I'm like, okay, general general uh, consensus is this is the one to go for. All right. And they they broke down they broke down all the decision making process for me. They gave me the reasons why I trusted them. So I'm again, I'm following I'm a bit of hurt following over here, but I they helped me make the decision because they did the homework so I can make my decision quicker. And thus I went to purchase. And that's what we're going to see. It's going to be more and more influencers in very micro micro sections. So if you're coming to Malta and you're looking for a place to eat, what are you going to do? You're going to be looking at either, you're, you're probably not going to be looking at TripAdvisor because there's too many opinions. There could be too many opinions. You're going to start looking for smaller trusted sources. Okay. Who are the guys, who are the, who are the foodies in this country to follow? All right. These are the guys I'm going to listen to. They know their stuff. They're focusing on this. So it's sort of more narrow impact people, the, the really defined. If I, for example, if I start talking about tomorrow, I don't know, um, cars, I'm not going to get anywhere very far because there's people who have so much more detail and depth. So we're going to be just looking to micro experts, um, who get trusted and, and who get loved. Uh, by that yeah it's gonna i agree uh, it's gonna be interesting to see the development uh i have uh, one question that i like to ask people uh and and you i, I can kind of guess where you're going but uh, still maybe because and you can't talk about it because it might be your new project but what are the things that you look most forward to 
in the whole blockchain metaverse space from like personal level? No, personal level. Personal level is more and more um, more and more adoption, especially of, of cryptocurrencies for payments. That is that is that is my um, moving away from the centralized control is 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 the key thing. I'm I'm not happy with with what's happening around us. I've seen I've had uh, businesses of mine because they didn't because the general manager forgot to fill in a, a piece of paper. Have their account threatened to be closed to they've been a client of the same bank we've been a client of the same bank for like 15 years and they didn't fill out a piece of paper um and thus we can no longer have a business relationship with you and i'm like and the piece of paper was something that we would have filled in 12 months before so there's like literally no change yeah. this idea of centralized control is um is very it's very upsetting for me because i think we've gone to a we've gone to a, a day and age where we as individuals are being controlled by so many third parties and who are making up new rules on a daily basis that make our life more restricted. And the only people it's doing good for is some, usually some lawyers and, uh, and, and, and sort of the administrators and the bureaucrats. We need to get back to where we have more power. We are taking back more control where we are doing good to each other, not because the law says, we're doing good to each other but because that's how it should be um not killing someone because the law says don't kill someone is just as is is just as bad as actually doing the act because the thing is they lift that law within 30 seconds we're back into we're back into anarchy um so we need to find these these moments where we are the idea of self self-controls and self-regulation and responsibility this is that's it's it's another, sorry i'm going very deep into this but um Responsibility for me, uh, responsibility of one's actions is just as important as that idea of uh, being able to choose. You also need to be responsible for what happens. So if someone does take all my Bitcoin, um, while that person has done bad, probably it was also my fault as well because I've done, I was irresponsible at some point and I have to live with the repercussion of that. This, uh, this molly coddled society doesn't help anybody um the bank bailouts and all of this so that's that's where i that, that's where i stand on this the more we can have individual control i think about the better the society will be ultimately yeah uh, i agree uh, i'm curious in this in the same direction one of the big questions in that i have to ask your opinion on because that's like okay how do we transfer that to actually buying a little of milk in the grocery store You know, if we say, okay, now I'm, you know, we have these tokens, it's easy for us to transfer tokens to each other, you know, that that already exists. But, you know, if when the price goes up and down like that, you know, how do we actually transfer that into food? So I actually have been doing that for three years now. Um, I So I keep my my day-to-day spending, uh, my the wallets, basically the, the credit card that I use, actually has a Bitcoin balance and not a, not a Euro balance. Um, so every day, the way I work, it is really simple. Um, I have, I, I, I initially had, I think it was a 2000, 2000 Euro balance was initially what I used to always keep in my sort of day-to-day current account. And what I did is I moved that to Bitcoin and every day I would buy whatever I needed. So I buy, milk, I buy, I buy lunch, I buy whatever. At the end of the day, I do a transaction from my euro, from my other euro account to that account for the equivalent I would have spent in euros. 
So I top up. What I've seen, funnily enough, is I've seen that the value of that 2,000 euros move up to 12,000 euros. At one point, at one point not too long ago, it was 18,000 euros value. Um, just by doing keeping my, my base balance in Bitcoin in this case. The idea of, of dollar cost averaging and just using it actually benefits you, or at least I've seen benefit personally over the long term. And with the way the, the token, the, the, at least I'm a, I'm a bit, big sort of Bitcoin believer, with the way Bitcoin will be going over the next 10, 15 years, you will only benefit. In time, it will, stable, it will stabilize, and then you'll just be buying and selling as you would the euro or the dollar. We're not there yet. We're in price discovery stage. So sometimes your milk costs you twice as much as it did six months ago in a Bitcoin value, but we'll get there. Um, I mean, we're seeing the experiments happen in Venezuela in, uh, I, I mean, now Texas is, is talking about uh, making Bitcoin legal tender as is uh, Florida. There, there's, a number, I mean, there was that whole meeting with the 47 different states um, in El Salvador uh, talking about this recently. I think we're going to see more and more countries accept it. It's, it will it be the, this, the currency that everybody's using day to day? It might take time. It may take sort of that idea of a customization. But I think that's where a lot of people are going to be storing their, their wealth, where they're going to be uh, keeping their money from actually losing value every couple of days. Um, I'm going to give you one very quick, very quick story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, had, I was buying a house. Um, we were moving and my bank decided just before we're about to do the loan, they needed extra security because my wife at the time was on parental leave and they said, yeah, she's not working. We need extra security, even though I had more than enough. And I was like, okay, how much? And they gave, they, they asked me for 17,500 euros as additional security against my house. And they're going to lock it up in an account and I'll get that back as soon as she starts working. I'm like, okay, fine. Um, I put it there. I was a little annoyed because I was supposed to be doing, a, uh, I was supposed to be using that actually to buy Bitcoin. So I would have, I had already planned everything, but anyway, every year they send me the amount of interest I earn, which is about hundred euros in interest. And this is now three to four years in. So my account has gone up by 300 euros over the last three years. And that money is still 17,000 euros, 500. Today, Based on the price it was back then, it would be worth over 159,000 at current price. Um, had I had I been allowed to purchase that, so let's let's put that out of perspective, right? Okay, there were mass gains; it might not ever happen again. But what's worse is my 17,500 euros is actually now actually worth about 14,000 euros in actuality because the price of goods have gone up so drastically that. I've lost money over that. And this is where, this is where I see the, the whole Bitcoin cryptocurrencies being a safe haven outside of a market, which can be easily manipulated uh, on that. So I'm, yeah, I'm looking towards financial freedom. I'm looking for, towards a point where we are responsible as a community to say what our value is worth. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, that was a little bit of a, of a, of a <laughs> let's call it a side chain, uh, but but a good story. I really like loved the. Can't remember. I'm too with names, but the guy who did this like story of money uh, mm -hmm. presentation at the tomorrow conference. 
Well, Wesley, uh, thank you very much. Like super interesting uh, conversation. Um, I have much. shared this form with you. So if you want to share your links and uh, and things for yeah. for people to look at. And also one of the questions I always ask is, you know, if you want to share your LinkedIn, is it okay for people to reach out if they want oh. to get in touch with you and have questions or whatnot? Yes, yes, no, no, it's it's completely, I, I'm very more than happy to to help anybody in the industry. Um, I'm I'm an educator first and foremost. I, I, I even till today, even though I'm raising at the moment I'm raising, I, I spent two and a half years educating because I think the more people know and the more people believe and the more people come up with amazing new ideas for this industry, the sooner we'll get to a, a place where we're back in control and we're doing some amazing things as a community together. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jesper. Thank you for listening. I hope you liked the conversation. For me, personally, I learned a lot from his approach to entrepreneurship, you know, solving problems. And I think one thing that really stood out to me, which I think is something that we all need to keep in mind, whatever we are building, and doesn't matter actually if it's Web3 or something else, it is... We see a need for something. Maybe we don't know exactly how to build this, but what can we build with what we already know that is in the right direction? I'm referring to when Wesley said that they wanted to create a game. They didn't know how to create games or had no experience in creating games, but they had a lot of tech knowledge in terms of the web web 2 and javascript and websites and all that stuff to so say okay what kind of games can we create with the knowledge we already have and that's just such an important lesson six months ago you needed a solidity developer to do almost anything in the web 3 blockchain space today there's more no-code or low-code point-and-click systems available, then we can count. So if you're working on something, follow the easiest path, do what you can do right now and learn on the way. I think that was a super important lesson there. So thank you very much and I'll see you next time.